Welcome to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm Steven Rothberg, the founder of College Recruiter Job Search Site. At College Recruiter, we believe that every student and recent grad deserves a great career. This podcast features news, tips, case studies, and interviews with the world's leading experts about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to high volume hiring. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Ben Gottkin, who has been a principal consultant with the consultancy firm Recruiting Toolbox for exactly a decade today. Before that, some of his accomplishments included being the co-founder and executive director of the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, director of talent acquisition for Married International, and the recruiting, national recruiting director for the international accounting and consulting company, RSM. Most importantly, however, we both love crab and understand that ice hockey is the one true sport. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Yes, crabs and hockey. That's uh, <laughs> that's a passion for sure that we share. Yeah, I mean, no matter, no matter how bad the day is, you have a, either one of those later in the day and it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so, Ben, tell us a little bit about Recruiting Toolbox and the work that you do there. Thank you, uh, Stephen. And yes, you mentioned uh, 10 years today. So yeah, it's uh, ironically my 10-year anniversary today that I'm speaking to you to, uh, to you here. And uh, our firm is, uh, we're not we're not a huge firm. There's six of us, uh, uh, at, uh, including our CEO, John Vlastalika, who founded the firm about 16 years ago. Uh, but we work with uh, clients, uh, over 300 of them over the past 16 years across pretty much every industry, companies large and small, domestic and global, to help them recruit better. Um, hmm. A lot of it is through training, hiring manager training and recruiter training. All of it is very consultative and all of it is custom designed to fit our clients. So you know, we are a consulting firm that does a lot of training. And in that, we are often helping clients with their process, with uh, their interviewing capabilities, with uh, their strategic approach. And again, pretty much we've seen <laughs> pretty much how recruiting is done in every way, shape and form you can think of because of the variety of our, our client base. Cool. Well, and if there was a national uh, or international hall of fame for recruiting leaders, I, I think you guys, the six of you would all have your photos up on the wall. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so going back to some of your previous experiences, you know, you and I met, um, I think 187 years ago, back when you were at RSM. Um, remarkably, yeah. Yeah. neither one of us have changed at all. We look exactly the same as exactly we did back the then, same. right? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're well, very well preserved, kind of like Twinkies. Right. Um, but right. both RSM and Marriott do, in, in in my view, just a tremendous amount of hiring each year. Hmm. Um, sure. But the people they hire seem to me to have very different skill sets, and the jobs that they're doing are really different. One of the things that I'm interested in learning from you is what similarities. Do you see between those those kinds of hiring between what RSM, uh, what you were doing at RSM, and what you were doing at Marriott, and then also what the differences were? Well, I mean, first of all, you're talking about a professional services firm versus a hospitality company. You're talking yeah. about a midsize professional services firm versus a global uh, hospitality company. So just in terms of scale and industry alone, there's big differences. Um, the mm -hmm. similarities probably be most in college hiring in, in the college recruiting piece. Cause that's when, especially if we think about volume hiring with the firm like RSM or any professional services firm, that's usually what, what the volume is outside of that at the, at the professional level, you know, you're hiring 
tax accountants, auditors, consultants, that's a little more one-off. And that would be mm. probably similar to a Marriott for, say, hiring at head, for headquarters roles. Uh, so sure. there would be a lot of similarities there. Where, uh, uh, so your, your campus recruiting activity, uh, the cyclical nature of that, internship programs, converting interns into full-time hires, very, very similar, you know, what you would typically expect. Uh, in fact, even with an RSM, as you're probably I'm sure you're aware, RSM is, does it very much the same way that the big four does it in other accounting firms. They all kind of have the same model. And Marriott did a lot of similar things like that too. Whereas at Marriott, the high volume hiring is was primarily in the hotels. Okay, so um, you know front desk clerks, cooks and uh, waiters and uh, housekeepers, and so that's where back when I was there ten years ago, before they acquired Starwood, we were getting a million candidates a year in the just in the United States for those uh, hourly roles at your hotels. And so the challenge there was Marriott, very visible, very, uh, very highly respected in hospitality, you know, a destination for a lot of people in hospitality. And we get a million candidates a year that now you had to get down to, you know, be very efficient in how you're getting down to actually making your selections. Whereas in an RSM, you're competing, you know, you, you're who is a second tier firm, not the big four, but kind of that next mm-hmm. level down. You know, you have significant, significant competition at the top end, just the amount of competition for a limited number of candidates in accounting programs across the country meant you're dealing with less candidates. But uh, it was almost kind of a really a combination of high touch, high attention recruiting a lot of, you know, building those relationships with a lot of candidates in the front end, and then, you know, maintaining those strong relationships all the way through the hiring, even though you're hiring at volume for those college hires. And, and really the focus much more on intern hiring with RSM too, because in professional services, you're typically hiring them as, well, you start them actually as externs, then you convert those to interns, and then you convert a lot of your interns into your full-time hires. Yeah, so interesting. So RSM... And just to sort of paraphrase a little bit, very high touch, probably very low turnover compared to the average employer. And uh, maybe not in terms of like professional services. Maybe it was, you know, average, a little bit of average, a little bit below average. But if you compare it to fast food, I would think RSM would have way lower turnover. And Marriott would be more like that fast food, I would think, where the recruiting probably was lower touch, higher turnover. Um, just comparing the two organizations? Uh, kind of. I, I think when you look at professional services in that model, there's a reason why they hire such large numbers as interns and then as associates is actually there is turnover. It's usually once they get their CPA or once they get to manager level, they make a choice. Either I want to stick mm. in uh, the, the partner track in this firm or in public accounting, or I decide to go off and be a manager, or director of accounting or controller, get on a controller or CFO track. Uh, in a company, you know, in, in a company, um, and so there is an expected amount of turnover for sure. So you're not, you know, yes, obviously your your retention rates are going to be higher than your hourly jobs, but there still is an expected amount of turnover. Whereas at a Marriott, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy, appreciated about the culture there is that there there were, an, an, yes, it was 
I don't want to say transactional, but it was certainly when you're hiring at that volume, it isn't mm-hmm. as high touch. And you're getting to yeah. the point where you're trying you're trying to make the best possible decision of who's going to be a good fit for that job in that hotel, in that situation, but also with the longer term view too, because Marriott in particular has a great inter- had a great and still does have a has a great internal mobility culture. So numerous mm. stories, many, many stories that people started off as front desk clerks or, you know, or in other various hourly roles and then move their way up to assistant manager to manager. And now they're running a hotel. Interesting. Okay. Well, and then they're at headquarters or yeah, that was very much a part of that culture. So Marriott was a bit unique, I'd say, particularly in the hourly hiring space for being really good at that. Yeah. It's, and without going too far onto a tangent, I, I stayed at Marriott's a lot. And I have noticed a cultural difference when you Mm -hmm. walk into the lobby and you're checking in Mm -hmm. at a Marriott. At some other hotels, if that front desk person is overwhelmed um, Mm -hmm. or clearly new and just doesn't really know their job all that well yet, they run into some unusual problem. Right. A lot of times they're kind of on their own where I can distinctly remember of a couple of occasions when I've gone into a Marriott and clearly the person who's like the general manager who just happens Mm -hmm. to be walking by Mm-hmm. We'll just like jump over and it's like, oh, let me show you how to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, a person higher in the organization who's already done that job is able to yeah. do that. And uh, so. Well, yeah. And so if they came out of that, if they had done that before, that'd be great. But also I think it was part of the culture that was driven, again, this is 10 years ago when I was there. And I remember I saw uh, an, a, a TV interview that had been done some years before with Bill Marriott, Mr. Marriott, who was a CEO, mm. still CEO at the time. And the question was posed to him, when you hire people to work at your hotels, what's most important to you? And he says, you know, his response was fantastic, in my opinion. He says, I, 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 I want to hire nice people. I can't teach nice. Hmm. I could teach them how to check somebody in. I can teach them how to make a bed. I can teach them how to, to make a meal. I can't teach them how to be nice. So a lot of the interview process you know, and the considerations were for hiring people that would deliver that great level of service, as you were describing at the hotels because, you know, the, and the focus on the soft skills. So one of the things that helped to manage and help to drive that consideration and hiring at the, at the hourly level is that every hourly candidate uh, in the U.S. would receive in line with the application an, an assessment. Ah, uh, that they would be that they would have to complete, um, and the assessments would be a you know you'd have a question like for a housekeeper job for example like you walk into a room and uh, a guest had checked out but they left a billfold with a, with money sitting on the dresser what do you do? <laughs> what, and, what, do what do I do or what does a successful <laughs> hire do? <laughs> well, what, is, what's this, what, what, what would be our expectation there? And they had a whole team of industrial psychologists that that uh, validated constantly validates these assessments and making yeah. you know so a whole big process, but very intentional because then that's what helped. That was kind of the first cut for recruiters then to determine, okay, who should I start to talk to? I got 500 applicants for a front desk clerk job. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to review all 500. But right. you know this this you know, between that and the pre-screening questions, that would give me my first slice, and then I go through the process. And you know, I feel confident that because these tests and the pre-screening questions have been professionally validated, that it's going to give me a good starting point to make sure I'm talking to to people who could be successful in these roles. We'll be back right after this break. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago, and I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. 
Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Welcome back to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. So let's pivot to some of the work that you've been doing for exactly a decade now at Recruiting yeah. Toolbox. Yeah, yeah. Um, clients that you've got there that are that are doing high volume, and I, and I know you've got yeah. you've got clients that do, you've got clients that don't, um, right. but the focusing on the ones that do because hey, that's what the podcast is about. What are some of the problems that your clients? face and mm-hmm. what are some of the solutions that you propose to them again in terms of the high volume yeah. hiring clients yeah so that covers like for example insurance companies with claim centers or inside sales operations or financial services firms with call centers or manufacturing organizations or even healthcare so i've, I've worked across all mm-hmm. those i've had clients in all those industries and one of the interesting common themes is the struggle of hiring at scale Yet still, you know, being able to assess what really matters, uh, uh, to, uh, to confidently assess what really matters in someone's ability to be successful in the job and be not just a good, you know, fill a short-term hiring need, but also the longer-term hiring need. Yeah. So a, a couple examples of where I've seen some really interesting struggles. I had a healthcare client, a uh, hospital system. Yeah, we, we do a lot of discovery work in, in in the work we do with clients. We we speak to hiring managers, speak to recruiters. We get a view. We get a lot of different viewpoints into how recruiting is done. So I was running into one particular situation where there was a part of the healthcare system is actually food service, and the manager is mm. like, "I don't have time to interview. You know, here's here's what I'm looking for. Just go ahead and and find people who who you think can do this, and and go and make them an offer and get them on board." So the hiring manager sometimes wouldn't even interview the candidate. They, they were just looking mm-hmm. for bodies, basically. Mm-hmm. And then they were complaining about turnover. <laughs> <laughs> those are, those, they, 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 they can't possibly be connected. Oh, so 100% connected. <laughs> and so, like, okay, if you're not even going to interview somebody, if you're not, you know, how would you even know if this, the employee is going to be a good fit with the manager? Yeah, you know, you would have no clue until unless the manager actually talked to the candidate. So I think very, and, and sometimes we see this even in um, in high volume hiring in call centers or, or in manufacturing. So much of it is mm. focused on you know, do they have prior experience doing this? What are some of those hard skills? When really, what we know is very much long term success, performance, growth potential, career potential is driven off of some you know, being able to effectively assess do they have the right behaviors. And do they have the right motivators aligned with culture, mm. aligned with what works, we know works well within our teams, um, aligned with what we're looking to add in terms of diversity into our organization too, and then being intentional about how we assess that. And, and, and very often volume hiring uh, at the interview and selection stage misses that or undervalues that. You know, mm. the, it's much more about, can they be here these hours? Can they talk mm-hmm. on the phone? Uh, can they cook a meal or something like that? And are they going to be? Are they going to be fine with what I want to pay them? 
And then mm-hmm. that, a hiring decision is driven off of that, as opposed to thinking more critically around what are the common characteristics of our most successful people? And what do we want to see more of? It sounds to me like the the approach that you've taken with your clients is really similar, but depending upon the answers and the individual um, situations, whether you're hiring call center people, whether you're hiring you know, a whole bunch of food service workers, the, the questions and the tools that you use uh, might might differ. Well, well, certainly. And obviously you're going to, you know, for, for purposes of scale, you're not going to, you know, you're, you know, what, what you're going to try to evaluate in a candidate and the amount of time and the amount of people you're going to have to evaluate, that's going to be much, much less and much more narrow for high volume roles than low volume roles. But mm-hmm. I, I think what we talk about, what I try to really reinforce with clients is that, you know, if, if we have concerns about turnover, particularly short-term turnover, that means we probably missed something in the interview process. We yeah, missed important yeah. information. Okay. Motivators weren't aligned. Okay. You know, they, they made this move ultimately because, uh, because they wanted to make 50 cents more an hour and they have a, they have a history of this. This is why, and they just keep hopping from job to job for another 50 cents an hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we got to determine, is that really what we want here? <laughs> and were we surprised yeah. when something like that leaves in six months because they got another job for you know, where they're making to make another 50 cents per, per an hour or, are they actually motivated by other things we have to offer? Or maybe it's even, you know, gives us, if, if we're seeing too much turnover related to, to pay, for example, maybe that should actually telling us something that maybe we're not paying well enough or paying competitively. Right. Right. And, and actually, you know, Stephen, that was, that, this is a big revelation I've had in the past couple of years because we've often talked with clients about, you know, how we, we talk about how are we selling the job and how we, what's the employment value proposition and, you know, it, it is often very different for different people at different stages of their career. It's going to be different for people in high level professional or management roles compared to entry level, yep. high volume roles. Very, very different. It's going to be different for college graduates compared to somebody who's been out in the workforce for 20 years. Yep. So we, we need to understand, really get a clear understanding of what the key motivators are of the type of talent we're trying to hire and determine how well do we align to those things. And for particularly for more than your entry-level high-volume jobs, um, it is about the money. It is about pay. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to put mm-hmm. food on the table, roof over our head. Yeah. You know, do they care so much about learning and growth opportunities? Some will, but mm-hmm. but some don't. And, and that isn't necessarily, that shouldn't necessarily be held against them, you know, in right. every time as well. You know, and the question is, you know, if we if we have made the decision that we're not willing that we're not going to pay competitively compared to other mm-hmm. organizations in the market. So if I'm in healthcare and I'm hiring, I'm trying to say hire home care people. Yet the Walmart down the street and the McDonald's down the street, they're paying three dollars an hour more. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's that's a that's a decision we're making as an organization, and and ultimately I got to make sure. Yeah, you know, I, I got to have some tolerance for turnover because somebody yep. may just leave my. Health, my home care job, which they probably would rather do, which they probably get more fulfillment from. But if they're going to mm-hmm. make three more three dollars more an hour at the Walmart down the street, mm-hmm. that's a practical decision they got to make. <laughs> right, and we shouldn't be critical of people for wanting to pay their bills, for wanting right. to affa- afford medicine, for wanting to be able to afford food. Yeah, you know, if you're a very high income earner, you're a CEO of a big company. Three dollars an hour clearly means nothing to you. 
But for somebody at the bottom end of the wage scale, it means Absolutely. everything. 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 Um, and yeah. the learning and development opportunities, the for, you know, the uh, the four hundred one k, the you know, the other things that we often put out there is we thinking great benefits, you know, or great culture. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they're gonna. Th- th- those are things we we need to we need to think about in in relates to the expectations we're set also setting for how we're trying to evaluate people and their motivators, how well they align, and and should we just expect that we're going to have a certain amount of turnover, and what do we and how can we optimize hiring the people that do have the right motivators aligned with what we're looking for. And if we get a little better results from less turnover as a result of that, then that's at least a move, you know, a path in the right direction. I just think, you know, the, the challenge sometimes we don't, we don't assess candidates at that level well enough for what's re, the realistic motivators and expectations of the candidates as they align to what we can offer them. Perfect. Ben, uh, people want to learn more about you, recruiting toolbox, um, or ice hockey. Uh, where do they? Where do they? Where, where do they go? Uh, well, let's see. Recruitingtoolbox.com uh, would be the best place to go. We actually one of the great things about our website is we have all sorts of free videos, podcasts, uh, downloads, blog there with great articles. If you're just looking just for new information, insights, or just what we do and how we do it. RecruitingToolbox.com is the way to go. And as far as hockey goes, well, you know, it's all about the Capitals to me and the grade eight and Ovi <laughs> and his chase of uh, the all-time goal scoring record. So, you know, you could, uh, you know, just, just follow the Caps and Ovi. Hopefully in the next couple of years, he's going to do something really historic here. Nothing, nothing would both make me um, happier and yet at the same time um, more sad uh, to see Gretzky's yeah. uh, records fall. But uh, uh, it's it's a Canadian and I and you <laughs> exactly. Thank thank you so much for joining us today on the, on the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm your host Stephen Rothberg of job search site College Recruiter. Each year we help more than 12 million candidates find great new jobs. Our customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other employers who hire at scale and advertise their jobs with us. You can reach me at stephen at collegerecruiter.com. The High Volume Hiring Podcast is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and College Recruiter. Please subscribe for free on your favorite app. Review it. Five stars are always nice and recommend it to a couple of people you know who want to learn more about how best to hire at scale. Cheers. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.